Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm in our Providence podcast studio with Bill Koch, our Red Sox writer. Bill, how, how goes it these days? Goes well. Uh, here, in one piece, still have a job. I have low standards for 2020, <laughs> so those just about meet them. And we're both healthy as far as we know. We're wearing our mask. We've got our uh, sanitizer at the ready in my pocket here. Um, Bill Corey has a Red Sox mask, folks. He, he's ready for the that's Twin right. Bills. Well, this is, this is uh, right. This is apropos for, uh, for Twin Bills. Uh, this was a, a gift from my lovely wife, um, who uh, always reminds me never to leave the house without a mask, and I usually remember that. Uh, there have been times when I've walked into a Cumberland Farms, and I got that dirty look, and I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot the mask, and walked back out. I'm sure that's happened to many people in these these weird times. Good on you, Claudine. Well done. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, it is uh, Friday, and the Red Sox are about are about to embark on a homestand with the, with the Blue Jays. They just got back from a three and four road trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did okay against the Mets. They did not do okay against the Yankees, uh, and I think it was just a two game uh, against the Rays, split which they two split. With Tampa, yeah. Right. Uh, so I suppose the way it started out, three and four is not horrible. It's better than zero and seven. Um, <laughs> I wish uh, I, I wish certainly that you know that they figured out a way of not uh, of not uh, being swept. By the Yankees, uh, and they had an opportunity. And Bill, you wrote about this uh, in one of your post-game columns. They had an opportunity to kind of salvage that last game, and they showed some fight. And unfortunately, it kind of just fell through their fingers. I, I can't help but laugh at your evaluation of the trip. But three and four—it's not horrible. It, it's a very 2020. Yeah, right. Exactly. Standard. Right. Tw- right. The 2020 standard would be zero and seven. Zero and seven, <laughs> and that's about right. Right. You know. It, Three and four. It wasn't yeah, a complete right. disaster. Yeah, one that's, game shy of 500 will take it, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's sort of mentally where we're beaten down into in this eighth month of this year from the hellscape. It's, it's like, um, as my friend likes to point out, it's like March 123rd today. Oh, you know, it's, it's like time stopped. It but. really is. We, we hope everyone out there is, is doing well and, yeah. and healthy and safe. Um, yes, the Yankees series. Uh, you know, the first two games, they... they you know, they, they lost two different ways. Uh, the first one, they weren't really in. The second one, they gave up one swing to Gio Urshela, a grand slam. Yep. Uh, the third one, though, you, you saw some wastefulness from the Red Sox, and, and that's what I wrote about, uh, you know, for my postgame column. You got really good nights from Xander Bogarts, who was 4-for-4 four four with two homers. Raphael Devers, who hit his first homer of the season and made a spectacular defensive play uh, to rob Aaron Judge of a hit. Right. Uh, you had four leads in the game, two by two runs. Uh, two by one run you lost all of those uh, you got to the eighth inning you had Matt Barnes out there he's the guy that you set it up for yep um, he gets the first two men out and then he can't get out of the inning he gives up the game winning home run to judge 
Uh, and, and it was really disappointing and, and sort of told you a little bit about where the Red Sox are in this 4-8 and eight start. Uh, they're a team that, in my mind, just can't have any breaks go against them. They can't overcome any sort of adversity. Mm. And I don't know whether that's a confidence problem, whether it's a talent problem, or whether it's a little bit of both, frankly. I, I think uh, one of those games at Tampa, the first game at Tampa, illustrated it really well. Uh, J.D. Martinez hits a ground rule double. It costs them a run. It feels like a body blow. <laughs> they have a pop-up hit a catwalk that they don't catch. Oh. It extends in at bat, and right. Hunter Renfro hits a two-run double. That's another body blow that they can't overcome. Right. Um, it's just little things like that that are happening to this team that don't seem to happen to successful teams. And when they do happen to successful teams, it feels like they <clears throat> overcome them. And so that's where the Red Sox are, in my mind, 20% of the way through this 2020. Right. And, and at the risk of, of, of uh, you know, uh, sounding the woe is me tone here. Uh, but, but what you just said at the end there was, was uh, I think, uh, right on. You know, good teams figure out how to, how to not let this stuff happen to them. Right. And the last game against the Yankees, I think, was uh, emblematic of that. I mean... Uh, you know, we know the the uh, the struggles that the Red Sox are having with their pitching staff right now, uh, and one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later on is is uh, not having Erod for the season. But you know, so here was a game where you know you were in the game, your pitching kept you in the game, you got to the point in the game where you were you had a lead, and you bring in the back end of your bullpen that you feel sort of good about. You fall, you know, you sort of feel somewhat positive and confident in having Barnes and Workman at the back end. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out. Obviously, they're playing a very good Yankees team, first place, 9-3 and three Yankees team now. But still, you know, that game was there for the taking, and you're right. It's just they can't sort of, they just can't close the deal against a good team. Uh, you know, it's still fairly early, but in a lot of ways it isn't, Right. you know. Uh, so I'm not sure if this is pretty much what we're going to get for the Red Sox. I mean, they're they're squarely in last place as we speak here. They're four and eight in in the American League East. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think they were a last place team. I certainly didn't think they were first place team. Uh, but uh, you know, and the loss I think of uh, of Erod is is going to play uh, uh, you know uh, a big role in their in their season. Uh, so why don't we just flip to the pitching for a little bit? Obviously, the news with Erod is that uh, he had COVID. He he recovered, fortunately, but he had uh, myocarditis. I Correct. guess I guess is the pronunciation. It's basically, it's a heart ailment that uh, people, uh, like twenty percent of the people who have COVID, uh, deal with. Uh, it's hopefully not a um, serious long term issue, but. Uh, it does mean that he's not pitching at all this season. So what does this do to the already thin Red Sox pitching staff? Well, first, it is you know, it is stunning in the sense that here's a 27-year-old professional athlete who develops this sort of condition after battling COVID-19. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's just very eye-opening and very sobering. And, and I think anyone who, you know, and I hope there isn't anyone out there who, who's not taking this seriously, but... I think anyone who is inclined to to brush us off as just the flu or anything else, I think this sort of thing happening to a professional athlete, someone who is young, healthy, able-bodied, someone who can throw 200 innings in a Major League Baseball season, can go out there 30 times, uh, can have something like this develop. It's it's a little scary, frankly. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's something that, as you said, occurs in up to 20% of patients recovering from COVID-19. Yep. Uh, and so the medical staff for the Red Sox uh, asked 
Rodriguez to, to have an MRI because that's what picks up myocarditis. It's an inflammation of the heart muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, MRI came back and, and showed that he did, in fact, have myocarditis. Now, the Red Sox uh, and the doctor shut him down for a week from any sort of physical activity. But once that happens, and, and I know a little bit about this going through some cardiological history of my own, uh, I had about a pericarditis when I was 20, 27, 28. So what is that? That's an inflammation of the sac of fluid that surrounds your heart. Okay. And when that sac of fluid gets inflamed, it feels like it's squeezing your heart from the outside. Oh, and wow. it, it causes chest pain. Yeah. Uh, it can be treated with you know, regular antibiotics and, mm-hmm. and whatever else over a course of a month or, or two months. Right. Um, you know, but if you don't address it quickly, and you're maybe a little older or you know you have some sort of pre-existing condition or whatever else it could cause a heart attack because yeah. it is squeezing your constricting heart constricting the heart constricting yeah. the heart yeah um you know so i knew that when they said rodriguez is diagnosed with myocarditis it wasn't just going to be one clean mri right. and they were going to let him come back right. it was going to be at least two sure and then probably an echocardiogram and then a couple of stress tests and, and a couple other things. And by that point, you're just pushing so far into 2020, into September maybe, right. before he can start throwing again. You, you reach a point where you say, what's the point? Right, right. Why are we going to let him do this? And, and so with him out, which I felt was inevitable when they disclosed what he was battling, mm-hmm. with him out, you're down to two starting pitchers, effectively. Right. Nathan Evaldi and Martin Perez. You're 4-2 and two when those two guys take the ball. You're 0-6 when the other guys do. Right. You take Rodriguez out, Chris Sale, who they should have known was going to be out sure. because they had his medical records and they knew that his elbow wasn't right. You should have planned for life without him. They did not. Mm-hmm. You're essentially down to two starting pitchers and mixing and matching on the other three days. It's not a recipe for short or long-term success. Well, one thing they've, they've employed is the opener, and we obviously know you are not a fan of the opener. And I don't, and I'm I'm, not. I, I don't know where I stand on the opener, but so far I don't like it. <laughs> it hasn't been working for the Red Sox. Uh, and I think it, you're right. I, you, you, uh, you point out the desperation that they seem to be in, and you wonder if they really had to be at, at, uh, you know, sort of at, in this uh, in this situation, as you mentioned, they should know that uh, Sale was not going to be pitching this year. Yes. Um, obviously, there was no way of knowing what would happen with uh, with Erod. I no. mean, he was at spring training, and you figured he was going to be, you know, part of this, the probably the ace of the staff. Sure. Um, but it's sort of no way of knowing. But but after Erod, you had Evaldi, who you felt pretty good about, and you're like, okay, well, he's a solid number two guy. You went and picked up Martin Perez, Martin Perez, who you know, who, who has been okay for them certainly, and and surprised me. Mm-hmm. But to me, he's not a number two or really a number three. He's more of a four or five guy. Correct. Uh, and then you've got no one. I mean, you you literally have no legitimate starting pitching after that. You were just kind of piecing it together with right. Ryan Weber and and all the guys in the bullpen that that you're kind of trying to piece together a pitching staff. So, you know. In some ways, you know, with the 60-game season, you're saying, well, you know, it's a 60-game season. You know, how much can they really expect to do with this team? But if it wasn't a 60-game season, like, was this the was this this pitching staff we were supposed to watch for 162 games? It just seemed, it struck me as that they were wholly unprepared to deal with the pitching woes on this team. I think we're, we're running into the business side now, and we're going to talk about <clears> the <throat> fact that I think the principal goal for this season, from ownership, communicated to High and Bloom, was to get under the competitive balance tax. Mm. 
That was the sole goal that they had coming into 2020, to reset those penalties. And I think when you look at what they did from a pitching standpoint, Mm -hmm. the fact that they were signing guys off the waiver wire and and guys off the street, and they were trading minimal prospects for for guys who they could bring in like Jeffrey Springs and and Matt Hall, um, I think that was entirely about not going over the tax. And, And I think... You know, that was a, a strategy set forth by ownership that's been carried out by Bloom. And you know, if you're the Red Sox, I, I don't think you should ever have to do something like that. You, this is obviously pre-pandemic right. discussions. The fact that your revenues are, are among the top five in baseball every year and your franchise value dictates that you can borrow against uh, the franchise's net worth and sustain yourself for a little while. Uh, you know, certainly until we are past this eventually in 2021 you would or 22. Think, you would think they are one of the legacy teams and, yes. and among the highest payrolls every year. They own their stadium, right. so they could borrow against Fenway Park right. if they really needed to. They get to. a lot of money coming in from Nessa. And, you yes. Know, so. And, and so I, I always looked and I thought that the decisions that they're making are business decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the fact that they have been so inept at developing starting pitching from within, and, right. and that goes back well before High and Bloom, uh, to late Theo Epstein. Hmm. Um, you know, not Theo's entirety, uh, because he certainly developed John Lester and Clay Buckholz and, and a few others, uh, you know, traded for some more. Um, you know, but Ben Charrington couldn't necessarily develop a, a stud starting pitcher draft and, and push a guy through. Uh, and Bloom's had one draft, so you, yeah. you obviously can't uh, fault him for that just yet. Uh, you know, the other side of that, obviously, is you got some talented kids on the farm who you may, for business purposes mm-hmm. again, manipulate their service time and keep them on the farm. Yeah. Throughout this year, you look and you say, we're not necessarily going to contend. We're not really going for it. So we're going to hold these guys down knowing that we have six years of control. Mm-hmm. Why would we start their arbitration clocks? Why are we going to bring up someone like Brian Matta or Tanner Houck? when we could bring them up in 2021. Right. We're actually trying to compete. Or right, 2022, right. we're actually trying to compete. And so that's the sort of thing that fans might not necessarily have at the front of their minds all the time. They might look and just see the product on the field and think, why are they making certain decisions? Why are they playing certain guys? Well, right. a lot of times it has more to do with performance. And I think this Red Sox team, the way it was constructed uh, and the way it is being put on the field currently – has a lot to do with the business side as well. I think you're right. I, I, you know, I think uh, what you brought up is the uh, the word that shall not be named, and that is the bridge year mm. that no one wants to, to actually admit How to. How dare you? I know. I'm surprised the Red Sox aren't storming the studio right now and turning <laughs> off the power. John Henry <laughs> busting in. <laughs> but uh, right. but you know, come on, this is sort of what it is, and I think you know. I don't want to say they were fortunate for the pandemic. Nobody is fortunate. But but having this short year kind of absolves them a little bit, I think, of, you know, because there's so much going on and they lost Erod. You know, it's, it's I think, a little bit easier to sneak in that bridge year it, th- it, it than, it, than it would be. Right. It has minimized sports. It has minimized their importance right. in that way. Sure. Yes. Uh, so uh, and rightly so, but we will see. Yes, absolutely. But we will we will see. You know, next season for sure. You know, because I, I'm with you. I don't think the Red Sox fans and Red Sox nation, so to speak, really can really puts up with something like that because you know we pay among the highest ticket prices in the country. 
uh, the team gets uh, among the best TV revenue uh, deals in the country. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know we've talked about this a lot of times. It's it's the billionaire going shopping at the dollar store kind of right. mentality, right? Uh, so uh, let's let's uh, continue looking at the lineup a little bit or the uh, <clears throat> the roster and and look at the the batting lineup here and uh, let's look at. Uh, some of the guys that I think are doing what we had expected and or pleasantly surprised with, and then some guys who are uh, unfortunately not doing so well. So let's start on the positive, Bill, because I'm a you know I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Good for you, right? Uh, so uh, first of all, Xander Bogarts, uh, boy, that deal looks better and better, doesn't it? That that he signed, yeah. Uh, you know, he is uh, starting off uh, well. I think he's hitting uh, a little over 300. Uh, he's hitting for power. Uh, a true kind of middle of the order guy still plays a, a really good defensive shortstop, and I know he's somebody that you've talked about many times, Bill, as as somebody who takes accountability, who who's accountable, who uh, you know takes the blame, maybe even if it isn't his fault, and stands there and talks to the press. Obviously, they're not standing there and talking to the press in person this year, but uh, he's developed into a, a, the real leader of this team. Yeah, he's the captain, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I think. They probably haven't named him the captain formally, maybe out of respect to Dustin Pedroia because he's right. probably the most tenured player. Yeah. Uh, you know, and how much can you really kick Pedroia while he's down? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's obviously not coming back. He's not going to play again for Boston. I, I'd be stunned if, if he did. Yep. Uh, if it was anything beyond, you know, maybe a ceremonial inning next year to, to send him out uh, at the end of his career. But Bogarts is the captain, I, I think, in everyday function and in performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Alex Cora had a huge impact on him. My brother and I were talking about this he, the other night, actually. Um, you know, the fact that Cora convinced him not to be this 320 spray hitter who, you know, had elite bat to ball skills and, and was going to try to lead the league in average. He wanted him to slug a little more and be a little more selfish and cheat on 3 1 fastballs and try to hit 25 home runs and try to hit 40 doubles. And, and that's the offensive guy that you see now. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, look at Sunday night in New York. He homers to the opposite field early in the game. Then later in the game, he goes to left center, 440 feet, I think it was, or 437, yeah. uh, into the Red Sox bullpen. You know, th- those are not, that's not your banjo hitting 1980s shortstop. No, of course not. No. Um, <laughs> you know, this is the post A Rod, post Nomar, post Derek Jeter. Yep. Your, your offensive shortstop is supposed to make an impact, not just get on base. Sure. Uh, you know, so sure. he's definitely been a, a big piece of this. Um, I look at other guys in the lineup. Obviously, Christian Vasquez is, is off to a very good start. Uh, you know, and, and is you could make a case that you know since the start of 2019, he's one of the top five catchers in baseball. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, certainly, from from an offensive standpoint, which is something you know maybe we never thought we would say. Uh, Kevin Pillar is off to a really good start. Sure. Uh, you know, a guy yes. who who hitting 342, and uh, he's doing exactly what he was brought in here to do. Yep. Which is hit left-handed pitching, and he's done that very well. And playing and playing a good outfield too when he's in there. Yeah, he's he's fully capable of playing any of the three positions. Right. Uh, you know, JD Martinez has figured it out a little bit too. Yeah. Um, you know, had a good night in Tampa the other night with two doubles, and and you know, hit a hard line drive to first base that was caught. He could have easily had a a three hit game. Yep. Um, you know, but the offense does have some questions, Bill, and and I think a lot of it has to do with. Uh, a lineup that is constantly in flux, uh, a lineup that is being played for matchups, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a lineup that I don't think guys, you know, certain guys, have really had a chance to settle into consistently. 
Yeah, I think uh, obviously the people you're referring to there is Andrew Benintendi for one, uh, Jackie Bradley, uh, both of whom have gotten off to very slow starts. I mean, Benintendi is hitting less than a buck. He's two for 29. It's currently. it's remarkable because he's somebody that uh, you know I thought, uh, and I hope he still is, uh, uh, one of the better hitters in this game. But you're right. He he was started off uh, you know at the top of the lineup, and then they they uh, removed him and moved him down. Um, and you know this is not the guy that we expected to get. Certainly not in 2017. Uh, you know he he came up in 2016, had a good debut. Uh, he's a number seven overall pick out of Arkansas. You you look at considerable physical tools. It is a beautiful swing when it's working. Right. He's an athletic outfielder who can play any of the three positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, can certainly play left field comfortably at Fenway Park. Uh, you were looking at a guy who potentially could hit 20 home runs in a season uh, over a given span of time, uh, could hit 30, 40 doubles over the course of a season, uh, you know, over a given span of time. And yep. uh, right now he just looks lost at the plate. And, you know, there was a, a clip put out uh, earlier this week by a, a Twitter account, Red Sox Stats, which, yep. which is a pretty good follow uh, and, and has a pretty strong following uh, mm-hmm. among Red Sox fans. Uh, had all of Benintendi's batted balls this year, and, and his swing just looks off to me. Uh, his backside is in the first base dugout. It looks hmm. like he's opening up far too soon. He's and pulling off, so to speak. Pulling off. Yeah. And, and, and the only ball that you're going to hit with any sort of authority in that way is a pitch down and in. Down and in, yeah. The other night in Tampa, he leads off the game against Charlie Morton. He flies out to center field, 400-foot fly out to the base of the wall on a fastball down and in. Mm. Uh, anything that is up, anything that is away, you know, outer half of the plate, he's not getting anywhere near. Right. He's not close enough to it to hit it the other way. He's going to roll it over. There's not going to be hard contact there. Uh, I think he's got a, a major physical change coming, and, and I can't believe that the Red Sox haven't seen this. I, I think it's just a matter of trying to get him back to the point where he can actually execute it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been disappointing to watch because, you know, he's one of those uh, young players that you expect just to get better and better every year. Yes. And here we are in the second season of him really, really struggling. Yes. And getting to the point where, you know, do you even – put him in the lineup at all if this is all he can do but he can't get any better unless he keeps playing so and and it's in a it's a weird year bill because there are no other games it's not like you can send him down to the Pawtucket Red Sox for you know a few weeks to figure it out this is it you mm-hmm. either play in the bigs or you don't play for, for the most part in terms of live pitching uh, uh, so what do we make of Raphael Devers here at the plate this year uh, you know he, he's only hitting 200 he's certainly um, uh, still uh, you know, capable of hitting for power. Um, um, are we concerned? I mean, he's certainly shown flashes. I mean, I, I, I think the last game I saw, he uh, he hit an absolute rope that was right to somebody. But um, you know, what are we thinking of Devers? I mean, you know, two hundred. I mean, I know we're only we're only ten, twelve games in here, but uh, you know. You kind of somebody who's at forty five at bats. You kind of want to see a two fifty to three hundred average anyway. The the talent there is incredible. Obviously, he showed it last year. He he put up numbers for his age that you know, only a handful of guys have put up in baseball. He he's being mentioned with people like DiMaggio and Rodriguez and Gehrig, and you know he's he's breaking Red Sox records set by Wade Boggs. Your your guy, right? <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah. I I think that's. Yeah, that's just indic- indicative of the talent that he has, how special he is. Sure. Uh, the, the one thing I wonder with Devers, and, and I think this 
I really hope this isn't a, a question that we have to ask throughout his career, but I certainly think it is one now. Is is he going to have to learn a different swing every year because of his body? Yeah, you know, it's funny. A year ago when he came into camp, I remember the talk was, boy, he looks really good. He slimmed yes. down. He kind of reshaped his body. And this year didn't sort of strike me that way. He seemed to be a little... A little pudgier I guess a little less felt that's that's a good way of putting it um, and I don't think the uh, I don't think the the shutting down and then coming back later helped him because I think a lot of people uh, you know maybe didn't stick to reg stick to the regiment that they might have been on mm-hmm. um, you know he's a young guy and it's uh, you know he has plenty of plenty of time to uh, you know to to to, uh, to straighten things out and and uh, you certainly get get into get into shape. It's much easier to get into better shape at that age than trying to do it at 35. Uh, but yeah, it does it does concern me a little bit too. Is he you know is he maybe not making it as much of a priority as he should be? The, I think the <clears throat> difficult part for Devers is you know in 2018 he's on the disabled list a couple times with hamstring problems. Yeah, and Alex Cora went to him and said, "Look, you're going on that." It was a disabled list at the time. I was going to correct myself, but I don't <laughs> right, have no, to. Right, no, it was the DL and not the IL. Was on correct. the DL yes. in 2018. Yes. And Alex Cora went to him at the time, and he said, look, you're going on the DL because you're out of shape. He said, you're not going to be able to play 150 games a year because you're out of like shape. Like that, yeah. Um, so what are you going to do about it? Yep. That offseason, he got a nutritionist. He worked out really hard. He yeah. showed up to Fort Myers in the best shape he's been in in his career. And what a year he had. And what a year he had. Yeah. He was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, you look at this year, and, and it's not the same body. He's obviously gained some weight. Um, and so you wonder just what that does in terms of how loose he is through the zone, how his back feels when he's swinging, you know, right. just just all of those little things. And, and we're talking about the major leagues where opposing pitchers are so good, it is so hard to hit. If you are even 2 or 3% off, yep. that is a massive, massive difference. For guys who are less talented than Rafael Devers, that's a difference between being in the major leagues and being out of baseball. Sure. And for him, it goes from otherworldly and annual all-star to a guy who's only going to be an everyday third baseman for the Red Sox for 10 years. Um, you know, but the problem is is that if you're in the organization and you're a fan, <clears throat> you have seen the ceiling now mm. or something approaching the ceiling yeah. in 2019. Right. You saw this supernova, this guy who just took off in May and was unbelievable, just spraying balls around. Left field, right field, center field did not matter. No ballpark can hold his power right. either. And you're thinking, my goodness, if if this guy and Bogarts, this version of this guy, are our lineup cornerstones for the next 10 years? No, you're you're feeling really good about... We're in really good shape. We look really good. Um, You know, confession time, because this is a podcast and it's not on video. I struggle with my weight. I have my whole life. My brother is six feet tall. Well, sorry, Tom. He's 6'1". I'm short a minute. (laughs) 6'1", and struggles to keep weight on. He wants to be 180, 185 with some muscle. Yeah. If he wasn't lifting or going to the gym consistently, he'd go down to 165. He just has that metabolism. Right, right. I don't. Yeah, it's I don't either. It's never been my thing. <laughs> um, you know, I got to the point where I was working out a lot with him when I was 27, 28 years old. I could only get down to about you know, 190, and I was 5'10 and a little change. And it was frustrating for me, and it has been all my life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it's something that has really affected 
how I present myself, my confidence, um, you know, sort of my outlook on what my place is in the world and things that I can do and things that I can accomplish and, you know, the fact that I shouldn't be on camera, God forbid. <laughs> Sorry to our friends at Channel 12. Um, so I can understand if, if maybe, you know, and I don't, I'm not saying that Raphael Devers has any of those issues, but right. I can understand what it's like to have a body type that all of a sudden doesn't want to cooperate with you and can't sit there and have an extra snack and, you know, maybe right. just eat poorly for a week and not gain 10 pounds. I know what that's like. Sure. And so I understand the sort of effort that he's going to have to make over the course of his career to prevent himself from turning into something that he should not be. And, and I think you mentioned his age. It's a good point. Is he ready to sort of embrace that full professionalism? Can yeah. you expect anyone to be ready to do that as right. a 23 or 24 year old? It's very difficult to communicate. Right. It's you know I think you know we're sitting here as somewhat mature adults looking at a uh, at a 20. How old is he? 23. 23 or 24. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so and and imposing our sort of reason and and rationale uh, upon a a young basically a young kid. Uh, so yeah, so that that's kind of dangerous to do. But I, I would say this: first of all, Bill, you, you're looking really good. I think the pandemic has uh, helped in in some ways, as you've mentioned. You you know you're you know you're eating what you're supposed to be eating and not as much junk. And and I I struggle with my weight too. You know I there have been times when uh, you know I put on my jeans and it's like uh, oh boy, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Now I have to go up to the next waist size. Yeah. But, you know uh, then there are times where I'm where I'm a good boy and I'm eating what I'm supposed to be eating and I'm back down to sort of close to where I am. Uh, but here's the difference, Bill. You and I are not professional athletes whose careers hinge upon our ability to perform physically. Correct. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think uh, with the money that these guys make, and I understand that he's on the lower end of these things because he's so young, but he's still doing fine. He's criminally underpaid. <laughs> right. Based on the way he's performed. Absolutely. But but uh, it's still much more than any of us would see in a lifetime in terms of a, a yearly salary. But, sure. Uh, you know, I think it does. It does come with some expectations that okay, you know, you should be able to stay somewhat in shape. You know, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be the Gabe Kapler bodybuilder type. Uh, you well, know, no, remember he no. was, but you know, you should be able to come to camp in in uh, relatively good shape. Uh, and, you know, last year he certainly did. And I thought, OK, he got it. Good. Someone got to him. He understand. And this year it seems like he's, step, he's, he's sliding back a little bit. Now, certainly you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because he's a f fantastic player, an elite hitter. And he's proving to be a pretty good defender over there at third base, too. But sure. you just hope that the trend is go is going to go in the right direction for him and that he does kind of sort of, quote unquote, wisen up and, and you know, understand the importance of, of conditioning for somebody like who, who you know somebody like him for me it's maybe more just the inconsistency the the fact that you know you're going to try to play one year at 200 and one year at 220 and then the next right. year at, at 195 and then the next year at 230 it, it's just it's going to be difficult for you as an athlete who is supposed to do everything consistently and and sort of has this routine and you know, especially in baseball, where you have a swing, 
and it's fine-tuned and it's honed right. and it's down to a certain degree and you're watching video of it and you're trying to get it in the right spot where you're going to attack pitches and you want to get a certain launch angle and, and everything else that, that's technical. And you know what the thing about with Devers is, and I'm sure he, I'm sure he studies his swing and stuff, but to me it just looks like he, he's so instinctual mm. with his, you know, like he's got a really good powerful swing and he can get to balls in different parts of the zone yes. with a very with a very good swing i mean you know we all think of that home run he hit in the in yankee stadium in off the closer or a couple chapman, of, chapman yeah. right? right uh and that was a, i believe it was a high fastball that he got to that most people don't get to or if they do get to it they barely nick it and he nailed it i think it was 103 miles an hour <laughs> so, so you're thinking all oh, this 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 kid can hit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's probably somebody who who doesn't, at least in my uh, view, really struggle with the mechanics of his swing. I think it's there. I think he has to worry about the other stuff. Yeah. the The body has to be at least relatively consistent. Yeah. So that his parts can sort of go together and he can generate that swing. And and I think. You know, just trying to, to do that to start from different places over the course of three or four years, I, I think that's really tough. And, and I think that's asking himself to do too much against guys who are incredibly good. Major League pitchers are incredibly of good. Of course. And, and you yeah. look at guys and you watch them out there and, and, you know, they might have a bad outing and get shelled and you say, man, this guy's terrible. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to get people out in the big leagues? And conversely, do you know how hard it is to get a hit in the big leagues? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's just we're talking about degrees of great, and, and I think Devers showed us in 2019 how great he could be, how great he has the potential to be here in Boston. And like him, I'm sure that's all we want to see from him. Absolutely, absolutely. And and that's probably the best way to get it. Yep. Uh, okay, so let's uh, pivot a little bit to the health of the game, so to speak, and, and it sort of hit home this uh, this past week with the Red Sox. Fortunately, it proved to be a false alarm, but uh, what I'm talking about, of course, is third base coach Carlos Fabulous, who did not make the trip yeah. from New York down to uh, Florida when the Red Sox visited the Rays. Uh, he had an inconclusive COVID test, and the Red Sox, out of an abundance of caution, as they said, sent him home to Boston, and they wanted to get uh, uh, you know another negative test, which they did get. And so we presume that uh, Carlos will be with the team tonight when they open the homestand. But, you know, um, to me, this this shows sort of how this situation with the pandemic, it can spring up almost at any time, particularly with baseball players, because as we've talked about in the past podcast, you know, they're not in the bubble. They are traveling from city to city. And certainly you hope they're trying to do the right thing and trying to take the precautions. But. You know, it's not a contained environment, mm-hmm. uh, and we saw what's happened with uh, a couple of other teams, games being delayed, and that's going to play out later in the season, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, with doubleheaders and things like that. You know, certainly in, in terms of Carlos Fabulous, uh, the you know, you, you saw, I won't say panic, I think that's probably too strong a word, <clears throat> but you saw the need for a swift reaction by the Red Sox, mm-hmm. and, and that is... You know what they've learned, and, and what other teams have learned from the Marlins and the Cardinals—just yeah. how quickly this can spread among a team. Uh, the Marlins end up with 22 positives. Yeah. The Cardinals Amazing. end up with 13. Yep. Um, and and it just reminds you that you know baseball players and, and staff members—they're they're in such close quarters, whether it's in the clubhouse, right. in the dugout, in the bullpen. Uh, you can try to social distance as much as you can. 
Um, you know, you can make all the efforts to sanitize and to wear masks and, and to do anything else, but once you let the virus in, it is in mm. and it is spreading and it is highly contagious. Um, and if you're on a baseball team, there's just not really much of an ability to get away from each other. No. And, and because baseball is such an everyday occurrence, because of the schedule the way it is, it's not football where you play once a week and you might be able to go two to five days and guys test negative and you can let them back near each other. Right. You end up having to reschedule all these games. And, and so you end up with the Red Sox, who have played their full 12 games so far, who have not had any postponed. Uh, they've had a couple changes later in the season. They will play the Phillies in a doubleheader in September instead of a two-game series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have pushed back... Seven-inning doubleheader, by the seven way. Seven-inning doubleheaders, yeah. uh, of which the Phillies will now play 12 seven-inning games this year. Wow. Uh, they were one of the teams heavily affected by this, not because of their own positive tests, but because of their opponents. Yeah. Um, you know, so the Red Sox will play uh, one seven-inning... Uh, one seven-inning doubleheader with the Phillies in September instead of a two-game series. And they had their series with the Marlins pushed back a day in mm. September in Miami. Um, and you just see, even if teams aren't positive, the scheduling domino effect, which we talked about last week on the podcast when, when this was going on with the Marlins, the scheduling domino effect throughout the sport, if this affects one team, it's going to affect four or five teams. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Sure. Uh so let's look ahead a little bit here. The Red Sox, as we mentioned, uh, open up a uh, weekend homestand with the Toronto Blue Jays, and they welcome in the Rays next week. And then they go back to New York to meet the Yankees for, I think it's a four-game series. It is. Uh, so, yeah, this is sort of the lopsided Red Sox-Yankees schedule this year. Uh, I think you, you noted before we went on that seven of the uh, ten games, I think, are in New York. Correct. Uh, which doesn't seem fair. But, uh, again, the Yankees look great this year, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where they if, if where they play really stand uh, really is going to matter that much. It's 2020. Uh, what's fair? Right. Who right. Cares? Yeah. There's no there's no fans in the stands yeah, obviously, but you know. You know. Uh, but uh, a team like the Yankees, you don't need to give them any extra help this year. No. Uh, so uh, so the Red Sox here have uh, have a chance to uh, make up a little bit of ground. I think. I mean the the the, Ray, the, Blue, the Blue Jays are four and six. They're not really. Uh, scaring anybody this year and uh, you know the Rays are you know uh, as usual we always say this every year they're a little bit better than we think they're going to be they, they always seem to be I mean they're not having a very good year they're, they're five and seven but that <laughs> five and seven gets you second place right now in the American League East probably puts you in the playoffs too if you're at 16 team field <laughs> yeah seriously yeah that's that's true I mean you're, you're probably yeah. in the bottom end of the playoffs actually because you're in second place in the division right you would be in the playoffs yeah uh, and uh, but but because we're talking about teams and records here, uh, I should uh, mention that uh, Rhode Island's own Rocco Baldelli and the Minnesota Twins are. Uh, you know what their record is, Bill? I'm going to guess that they are ten and two. Ten and three. Oh. Very close. Very close. So uh, so um, you know Rocco is having another solid season out there at the helm. Rocco's offense is frightful. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Those guys just murder the ball. They really do. Miguel Sano hit a home run uh, in Pittsburgh on Thursday that if there had been fans in the stands, it might have killed somebody. (laughs) It was a line drive down the line in left field that hit into, it it was either a seat out there, a a bleacher seat, 
um, or a metal patio just behind the left field stands. Okay. And it, it sounded like a gunshot going off. I, I mean, just an absolute rocket. Man. And Minnesota has a lineup full of these guys, whether yeah. it's Sano or Max Kepler. Um, you know, Polanco yep. has turned into a really good hitter. Rosario is a really good hitter. Um, they hit 300-plus home runs last year. Which they and the Yankees both went over 300 home runs. Just right. think about how ridiculous yeah, that number is. Absolutely, almost two homers a game. Yeah, uh, you know, and they get just enough pitching. They're going to get Jake Odorizzi back this weekend. Uh, so Rocco is a really good team, and mm-hmm. and this is a type of season where you, know, you don't need to do this over 162. They're going to have a chance to make a run. Realistically, they win you know 12, 13, 15 more games. They're just about in the playoffs already. Oh, absolutely. And we we talked about this at the beginning of the uh, of the season. You know, with a short year like this, your if your bats get hot, they carry they can carry you a lot. They can carry you for yes. two months. I mean, there have been plenty of seasons where the Red Sox bats have been on fire for two months and then have disappeared. Well, you know, too bad they're not on fire for these two months. But um, uh, the Red Sox don't play the Twins this year, do they? Are they in the? Uh, no, I know they're not in the pod there. It's so East versus East, right? Central versus Central, and West versus right. West. And there's the no little, there's no little wild card games that they uh, sneak the, out for. I don't think the only way they could play the Twins is in the postseason. Yeah, yeah, and that's assuming the Red Sox will get there. It's it doesn't look likely. Certainly, the Twins will get there. Need to make a run. <laughs> okay, so Bill, you are off to Fenway Park. Um, uh, and uh, obviously, uh, with the new Rhode Island regulations that Rhode Island is on the naughty list, you are allowed to go because you are a commuter doing work. Uh, does it uh, is anything going to change for you uh, covering the Red Sox in Boston for the next uh, handful of days here, coming from Rhode Island? Just in terms of uh, personal behavior, previously, whether it was summer camp or, or the Red Sox home games already, uh, I had been going directly from my condo to the ballpark. I, I hadn't been making no stops in between, stops huh? in between. Yeah. Uh, you know, haven't been going out post game, uh, you know, not only because I have an hour drive home every night, but because most of the bars are closed. Where are you going to go? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's just, you know, it's just a very different scene in, in Boston these days. I, well, what is, I meant to ask you, so what is the scene like around Fenway Park on game days? I mean, you, you wouldn't know there was a game there, right? Uh, honestly, Bill, it's, it's sad. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, you know, and as much as I can complain about the hustle and the bustle and trying to find parking and trying to wade through an ocean of people to get in and, you know, trying to sit in traffic when I leave and, and any of those things that, that you might have complained about before. Right. I miss it. Yeah. You don't know how do. good you had it. <laughs> I, right. I miss it. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I miss I generally, as folks who have listened to this regularly know, I went to BU. Uh, so I park on campus on the other side of Commonwealth Ave. It, it's probably about a five-block walk yep. to Fenway. It, it takes five or ten minutes. Yeah. Um, all those spaces are empty. It's really going to be sad uh, in September if BU is on remote learning yeah. and, and no one is living in those brownstones yeah. or, or in Warren Towers yeah. or, or anywhere else. That's really going to be strange. Um, you know, But you, you look at... <sighs> Bars around Fenway. Boston Beer Works is closed. Yep. They're not going to reopen. Uh, you know, you've, you've got some of the places on Lansdowne Street, whether it's Cask and Flagon uh, or the Bleacher Bar, um, you know, or the Lansdowne. They've tried to set up tables out into the street. They've made it a one-lane road, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just trying to get people to come in, sure. even while the games are on TV, right. Uh, right. you know, to, to sort of watch them you know, in the shadows of Fenway. Yep. Yep. Uh, you have visiting teams pulling up on Jersey Street in their buses 
and walking <laughs> into gate A. Wow. You know, like like it would be a high school right, game or right. a college game. <laughs> right, Little League All-Star game kind you of know, thing. You know, where yeah. normally they enter through a, a private, yeah, they, you know, cordoned off, gated sure. area. Right, you never see the players, so to beyond speak. Beyond yeah. center field, beyond right field, and, right. and they sort of come in through the outfield. Yeah. Now they go directly to the clubhouse, they go through their testing protocols, they show their badges and, and whatever else, and they go in right. through gate A. Sure. Um, you know, in, in terms of us, uh, I mean, we go through the media entrance like we always would have, but... It's much more scheduled. We have to go directly to the press box. Uh, there are no common areas, whether it's to write or media dining or anything like that. Right. So, so there's there's no media dining this year, right? The, no. the cafeteria area there is closed. Closed. They they yeah. offer uh, box lunches and, yeah. and box dinners, which, which is very thoughtful. Right. Um, you go down to the Coca-Cola deck in, in left field, and you can pick those up yeah. uh, on a daily basis. But um, Outside the park, it is very different. Uh, I do think it is a little sad. I, I always thought, you know, going to Fenway, it was, you know, it was going to be a great day. It was going to be sure, a day the, where I smiled a lot and saw the, a lot of it's, people. It's and always so vibrant, you know. That's I mean, a great e- even even if it. you're not particularly a hardcore baseball fan, you're just kind of a casual fan. Just the scene at Fenway, and and I would I would suspect most ballparks, but Fenway because it's so special to us, and you know because we grew up around here. But you know, just you know, the peanut vendor outside and the and the you know the, uh, the sausage the, the guy, sausage guy yeah. and just the whole thing and the guys hawking the uh, the programs and you know it's just that whole atmosphere that you just take for granted because it's been that way for a hundred years and this year it just it must be odd and I haven't been to a game this year and I keep saying I'm going to get up to one of them but it must, must be odd sitting there watching a game because you know I have to tell you watching it on TV other than not seeing fans in the stands, it's kind of the same experience because they pipe in the music. I mean, the uh, the crowd noise, and you know, okay, it's 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 similar, but we we you know we just know there's no fans in the. But when you're sitting there, obviously, there's no crowd noise, is there? They do put some crowd noise in, in the, the stadium, stadium as well. Okay, for the players. I see. Uh, okay, the players actually wanted that. They said it was weird without it. Okay. Uh, they also didn't like the fact that some of their conversations could be overheard, whether it was in their own dugout I or see. on the pitcher's mound. For the other team, yeah. The other team could yeah. overhear them a right, little bit. Right. Um, you know, so they do have sort of a din. And, and in they, the back, okay. They do sort of calibrate it based on events in the game, but Okay. it's not the same. It, is it, there an organist doing anything? There is. Okay, there, so he's there, is. there they, he's they, still, have, yeah. they have effects, uh, yeah. you know, just like any other park. I, okay. I know the Dodgers have... A great organist, uh, you know, who, who plays throughout their games. He's still working there. Yeah. Um, you know, played all seven and a half hours of that World Series game, which afterwards I said, man, right. you deserve something. <laughs> right. You know, not just the players, but He, he deserves but, a, but a share, too. right, he's you a know, playoff you, share, yeah. You, you managed to spin all these 80 rock, 80s rock <laughs> anthems into Let's Go Dodgers. Right. I don't know how many times. Um, yeah, but yes, I, I, think, I think you hit the perfect word there it normally is so vibrant and yeah. a lot of that you know just about all that life has been taken out of that area it, it really is sad to see right right well you know it's it's one uh one small example of how life has changed for all of us here uh in the last uh six months or so uh and here's hoping bill that uh we can get a handle on this thing get past it and and get back to our normal routine sooner rather than later but i think you and i are in agreement that we're going to be dealing with this in some way shape or form for many months and years to come whether it's still wearing masks in public or uh, limiting social gatherings to a certain number unfortunately i think this thing is here to stay for a little while 
yeah, let's hope uh, you know the wonders of science can can do their thing and prevail. You know, like yeah. like they have over so many things uh, that we now take for granted that we can cure that would have killed our grandparents yeah. or our great grandparents, sure. and, and we might not be here. Um, you know, but obviously it it takes. It takes a toll on all of us, whether it's mentally, physically. Um, you know, it's it's been really difficult to deal with, and, and obviously, you know, we are fortunate in the fact that, as we said off the top, we are here. <clears throat> we do still have our jobs. Yeah, absolutely. There's we a lot of people to, who are in much much worse condition, and, and you hope that they can find some normalcy, uh, some ability to get out and work again uh, sooner you know, than we, later. We could still sit here and talk about the Red Sox for a little while once yeah. a week, and, and you know, you could still go to the home games and, and still watch the road games on TV and mm-hmm. you know, still sort of have a little bit, that little slice of, of what everyday life was like before right. March. Right. Uh, but it has changed, and, and I would say, you know, and I would think a lot of people would agree with this, not for the better. No. Certainly not. Well, uh, Bill, uh, we will wrap this week's uh, Twin Bills up on that note. And um, as usual, we will get together a week from, uh, well, sometime next week anyway, as, as our schedules allow. And hopefully by then, Bill, we'll, we can be talking about a, uh, a successful Red Sox homestand in which maybe, maybe they actually come out and, uh, and you know, are finish above well above 500. We'll see. And could somehow set up a big series with the Yankees next week. That would be good. We'd love to preview that. <laughs> and that we will. All right, Billy, thank you. Thank you.